an anti-racist protest that swept the globe, toppling statues and focusing the spotlight on racial inequalities, how might community pharmacy be affected? Disparities between ethnicities were recently driven to the fore in healthcare by Public Health England Review released on June the 2nd, which was widely criticised for failing to disclose a clear action plan on how to protect people from black, Asian and minority ethnic groups who are vulnerable to COVID-19. On Tuesday this week, more information from the review was released, including seven key stakeholder recommendations on reducing the risk from health inequalities. The new document stressed there are deep concerns about support for frontline ethnic minority health workers. I'm CND Features Editor Thomas Cox. For this week's Coronavirus podcast, I spoke about the topics one evening of an online call with three members of the UK Black Pharmacists Association, President Elsie Gomez-Campos and board members Martin Egeridu and Mafino Okadegbi, who, like me, were speaking from their homes in London. For those of our listeners who haven't heard of the UK BPA, can you please explain why the organisation was founded and what it aims to achieve? The UK BPA was actually founded in December 2018, and it was created as a personal initiative in response to personal also experiences when, after practising pharmacies for more than 20 years, not having a body or an organisation that will help black pharmacists to voice their concerns or to have a place where to go to find people that look like them and get the support that they needed when they face several challenges we face on a daily basis. So the reason why I founded it, it was that I wanted to have a sort of network for black pharmacists and black pharmacist students where they could get support, where they could get mentors, coaching, where we could open careers opportunities and also to research and voice the experiences that black pharmacists see every single day, experience every single day in the place where they work or in the universities where they study. In recent survey on the effects of COVID-19 on pharmacy professionals, racist abuse was specifically pinpointed in the comments as a salient issue by some members of staff, which is something we're looking into further. Discrimination can, of course, come in many forms. So my next question is, what are the key areas of inequality resulting from a discrimination that you'd like to see addressed in community pharmacy? First and foremost, I would like to see black pharmacists, whether they are male or female, in senior or key positions. It looks like black professionals seem to hit a glass ceiling, and I'll elaborate on that. So, for example, when you qualify as a pharmacist, you end up becoming a pharmacist store manager or pharmacist area or regional manager. But then after that, it feels like there's no room for progression. So, for example, if you look at the top pharmaceutical companies in the country, the ones who particularly own community pharmacies, you tend to see the trend that, number one, there are no black superintendent pharmacists, there are no black CEOs, and there are no black professionals or pharmacists on the board or leading the exec team and there are no heads of division so you then come to realize that once I qualify if I only become a pharmacist store manager and then a area regional manager where do I go from there so it looks like we tend to hit a glass ceiling in a profession and it's kind of a shame and a bit upsetting when you've studied so hard for four to five years in university and passing that pre-reg exam. 
So I personally feel that's something that needs to look at, not just in pharmacy, but on a larger and wide scale. Reason being, if you look at all the other companies, so for example, look at the Fortune 500. Out of 500 companies, there are only four black CEOs. And then if you look at the FTSE 100, which is particularly in the UK, out of those 100 top companies in the UK, there is only one black CEO. So upon seeing those numbers, it starts to become disheartening, not just in the profession that you studied five to six years for, but also in the light that if you were to join another company and use transferable skills, it would be very hard for you as an individual, particularly a black professional, to progress. And that's what makes it quite difficult and upsetting. So pretty much to answer your question, I personally feel we need to look at the progression of not just black, but individuals from the black and ethnic minority background and find out ways where we can progress. Because then even in the BAME category, it's still a bit difficult due to the fact that black people tend to not be promoted ahead of their Asian counterparts. So it just goes to show that we're always the underdogs due to the fact that we have our white counterparts who we generally are not looked above to and then secondly our Asian counterparts so it does become a bit difficult and disheartening I would say on that aspect. Thanks very much Martin. Elsie has just told us that the UK BPA offers support and mentoring for its members which may help them to handle the effects of inequality but what other ways are there to approach the problem of inequality in community pharmacy? I personally believe employers and employees both have their roles. So, for example, in regards to staff members in the pharmacy, I personally believe in self-education, which is trying to research and highlight the reasons why their black counterparts may feel like this. Secondly, I also believe it's time to ask those difficult questions, those questions that may make people feel uncomfortable. Now, one thing I've learnt is when I've had friends who are not black, but obviously from another race, i.e. Caucasian or white, I tend to see or realise that they are a bit apprehensive in asking me certain type of questions. Now, one thing I've learnt and I've said to them is don't be shy and don't be, you could say to an extent, scared to ask me a certain type of question because the response you may get will not be as negative as you think it may be. I.e., if you were to ask me that question, I'd be more than happy to educate you and teach you. Another factor is what employers can do. I personally through every month, some employers, the big chains of pharmacies have e-learnings that staff members need to complete. Maybe they should make e-learnings which would help staff members know the difference between racism and non-racism and on top of Lee, and bias and unconscious bias. Secondly, I personally believe that when employers are recruiting to attract the best staff members in the company, they should conduct something known as a blind CV. 
By that, I mean have two CVs in front of you or more. Make sure you blank out the name, blank out the race, blank out the ethnicity and even blank out the gender so that you just go by the experiences alone. Because you tend to realise if a CV is placed in front of you, you then pick up the tendency to have or to display unconscious bias. I.e. if you see a certain name, you will say, that person's not hardworking. Or if you see a certain name, you were like, yeah, I could take them because they will fit in with the crowd that I'm in. So it just goes to show that sometimes because we're human beings, it's not our fault and it's due to no fault of our own. And it's also due to being a product of our environment as well. So one thing I believe is self-education or educating your staff members. And secondly, conducting that blank CV that would enable you to more or less prevent yourselves from having that unconscious bias. Yes, it seemed like a, a very simple, easy thing to do, but just blanking out the names of people who've applied for jobs would help to remove the risk of unconscious bias when selecting people for interviews so you can focus on skills alone. Yeah, self-education. I think there's been a huge rise in the demand for books about race. I believe that Amazon and eBay have completely sold sold out on books on race as people have scrambled to try and self-educate themselves. So hopefully some of those have gone to community pharmacy members. Tom, can I ask something to the answer, if possible? There are other two aspects that we need to look into to make sure that we narrow that inequality and we can blind CVs. But I think when it comes to interview, we need interview panels that are diverse. I have been to many, many interviews and it's hardly to see anyone that looks like me on those interview panels. Apart from, you know, having diverse uh, interview panels, we also need to think when Martin was talking about educating people, but also we need to be more active. We need to get leaders that come to you and say, look, we have got a diverse a workforce and leaders should be approaching that workforce and find out what it's like to work in this place of work. Do you feel that you are being included? Sometimes when I speak to other pharmacists, they may be the only black pharmacists in that community pharmacies or in that hospital department and they feel excluded they feel that they are no part of the team so leaders need to be very active and making sure that they start that conversation because someone that feels isolated is not going to go to the manager and say look i don't feel included in this department so i think leaders need to be quite proactive in trying to make sure that everyone feel included within the within the, the department whatever it is community hospital industry that's definitely something that, that I've seen while attending pharmacy conferences. There's very often a, a lack of diversity racially when it comes to interview panels. Also, also in terms of gender too, it's, it's often entirely male. You are listening to CND's weekly coronavirus podcast with me, Future Senator Thomas Cox, speaking with three leading members of the UK Black Pharmacists Association, Martin Egoridu, Mofino Ogadegbi and Elsie Gomez-Campos. Coming up is some key information on how pharmacy professionals can protect BAME individuals who have high vulnerability to COVID-19. To read more on racial issues, please check out a blog published this week on the CND website by clinical editor Nima Kalachand, who questions how much racism happens in pharmacies that we don't see. So, as you'll of course will be aware, the killing of George Floyd in Minnesota 
at the end of May trigger global reaction in anti-racist protests, including an enormous groundswell of support in the UK, which has led to a fierce focus on black issues in the UK media. Do you believe that this attention, that these protests could make a difference in community pharmacy? Absolutely, in short, I do think so. So in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, which, as we know, is like a non-profit organisation within the UK, US, Canada, they were essentially came in to eradicate violence from black communities by the state so that black people receive the same treatment and opportunities as non-blacks. And in terms of the impact on pharmacy or community pharmacy, because the Black Lives Matter movement has been very prevalent in the news, especially in social media, everybody is on lockdown. So people are paying more attention to what's going on in the news and social media are posting it quite frequently. So of those people that are following the news stories with the unfortunate incident with George Floyd. It has actually made pharmacy professionals and many other organisations, including the NHS, pay closer attention to how black staff or black people generally are being treated compared to their white counterparts. So pharmacies or pharmacists are likely to hear about the numerous protests that have been going on globally and more locally in London and reflect on their own thinking and potential preconceptions about black pharmacists maybe having the assumption that they're less competent to do their jobs or like Martin also mentioned the fact that black staff and some Asian staff are more likely to be taken to fitness to practice hearings or disciplinaries make them think more about the ethnicity pay gaps, as well as recruitment bias and lack of BAME presentation in very senior positions. So if we can actually change the mentality of the people at the top of the organisation, then this hopefully can filter down to employees at all levels so that they would be more empowered to speak up if they do see any forms of either direct or indirect racism in the workplace against their colleagues. I think people are definitely paying attention at all levels, whether it's the, at the very top of companies or lower down. Um, I think, yeah, the very minimum that would have come about as a result of this protest is people will perhaps think, think twice about their behaviour in relation to people of colour. Moving on to the Public Health England review, which came out at the beginning of June. The review was on the disparities in the risk and outcomes of COVID-19. This report was widely criticised in national media. It was also criticised by pharmacy bodies for failing to discuss why BAME people are more vulnerable to the virus. Do you guys agree with this criticism or have any of your own to add? I totally, I totally agree. I mean, when the report came out, it didn't give us any new information. We already knew that we were at risk and we had our own theories why we were put at risk. And... The good thing is that now they have come and they have come and they have said they have given some sort of recommendations. And the one thing that we really need to make sure is that these recommendations are actually taken and they are done. For instance, the risk assessment, we, make, we need to make sure that the members of the staff, the pharmacist members of the staff 
are assessed and the risk that they are put through if they need to be deployed to somewhere else or if they need a proper appropriate PPE. We need that to be done. I have personally have spoken to members of the UK BPA and what they're telling me is no encouraging. We know that this member of the staff need to be assessed and we are seeing very little uh, risk assessment done. Also, we are seeing very little compassion and that really worries me. As a profession, we have to make sure that we protect our pharmacies working in the community, working in hospital, wherever they are in a place where they're going to be facing patients. And even when you are not facing patients, I mean, I, I work in one of my, the places where I work, I work with um, in, in, in an office. And sometimes I don't feel protected myself. And it is important that we get every single member of the staff assessed and we identify those ones that are more likely to get the virus. And my main concern is that the risk assessment that I have seen, they are not appropriate for BME staff. And I personally have highlighted this and it looks like it's a tick box exercise. They just want to do a risk assessment. And if we do that, we are not doing what we are being asked to, which is assess the BME staff and make sure that they are protected and they are able to do the, the work safely. I mean, knowing that you are going to work and that you may catch the virus because the, your employers are not protecting you have caused a burden in your mental health. And that we need to look at that. So I think, yes, we, the criticism for the report was necessary. And um, now what we need to do is to move on and make sure that everyone is protected. Thank you for addressing just how difficult it is to do that when you, you can't even protect yourself at point ad- adequately from PPE in patient-facing roles in, in community pharmacy. And yes, it makes it doubly difficult when Public Health England isn't issuing accurate advice on or clear advice on, on how best to do this. Uh, so so what, what do you think needs to happen to ensure that black pharmacy professionals receive adequate protection from COVID-19, especially among those who we are alerted to as being at risk as a result of this assessment, should they have one? I think that's a great question. I think firstly, we would have to look at the factors that are affecting the impact of COVID-19 on black people and Asian ethnic minorities, and then look at how we can actually mitigate them. So Public Health England actually published a document yesterday on the 16th of June around COVID-19 and its impact on Bain communities. And they actually looked into stakeholder insights involving over 4,000 people with a range of like interests in BAME issues. So they've now established quite clearly that there's evidence it doesn't affect all population groups equally. And we know that older people, ethnicity, males, geographical area and all that stuff is associated with a risk of getting the infection and then having higher rates of death. So in order to tackle this, we need to kind of look closely at why it's happening. So there's been a few potential factors that have been established. So I'm going to focus on these and then how we can circumvent them. So firstly, black pharmacy professionals tend to be in lower paid work where they are predominantly in more junior positions, in more patient-facing roles, potentially putting them more at risk of increased exposure to the public and hence and consequently people that may actually have COVID-19 themselves and just carrying it. So in order to get around this, I think we would need to have, like Elsie has mentioned, better representation of black staff at all levels in the NHS and care services. 
And if black pharmacy staff are placed in the front line, then we need to proactively provide them with PPE, even if that means at the very least just having access to, you know, appropriate masks and gloves and introducing flexible ways of working to accommodate individual staff members. Because unfortunately, according to um, statistics, about 60% of the healthcare fatalities have been BAME staff. So we need to obviously be very aware of that and provide a more increased or heightened vigilance on how they are being treated in the workplace and making sure that they do have adequate personal protective equipment just so that we can mitigate against that. Secondly, black staff are potentially less... It's been highlighted even in the PHE document from yesterday that they are potentially less likely to seek support or speak up when they do have concerns about PPE, potentially arising from historic discrimination and sometimes in the workplace black people might feel pressured or in maybe not even directly pressured but potentially indirectly pressured to stay quiet in order to maintain job security and not sort of quote unquote rock the boat so i think it's fundamental in terms of getting around this to establish key relationships and actually form trusting dialogue between black staff and colleagues and employers so that we can create an open culture where all staff including black professionals feel free to express their concerns so some types of things we could do to protect BAME staff are through targeted risk assessments and the use of health impact assessments we know that there's also thirdly social factors So, for example, black people and other ethnic minorities are more likely to live in overcrowded accommodation and we know that they're more exposed to different people if this is the case. And so during the risk assessment, we do need to look at some specific factors that do tend to disproportionately affect black people. So I think it should be incorporated into the risk assessments regarding things around their housing situation, whether they live with people that are shielding at risk, have long-term health conditions. And we know that BAME people are overrepresented in lower income households, which tend to be associated with chronic diseases. We need to do something to help to get around those health inequalities that we know do exist. And as we know, like a lot of BAME communities have an increased prevalence of hypertension, cardiovascular disease and kidney disease, which also consequently puts them at increased risk of COVID-19. So to help with this, we could proactively target health promotion and disease prevention programs, you know, actually sitting down with black pharmacy professional staff talking about their health conditions, their background, maybe if they've got any sort of long-term conditions, not being shy or worried about actually expressing them in case it may look like they're not able to execute their job as well as their other colleagues. So I think there's definitely a lot that can be done in order to support black pharmacy professionals to receive protection from COVID-19. Thanks very much, Mufino. Uh, A really, really impressive list of things that can be done to help pharmacy professionals get protected from from COVID-19, as well as the the difficulty of getting basic equipment like PPE, which has unfortunately plagued the sector for the entire period. Was there anything that, that you guys wanted to discuss that I haven't covered so far or that there's just on your mind about black pharmacists in the UK? I just wanted to add what Mefino said in terms of uh, support. We need to make sure that we are not just sitting down and waiting for our employers to come and ask us 
to do the risk assessment. And see ourselves, we need to be more proactive and we need to go and do the risk assessment ourselves, go and show it to our employers and say, look, I need this to be done to make sure that I am practicing safe. In terms of other things that I would like to talk about is about we need black pharmacists in the UK, we need allies, we need people to understand that this is the time to make a change. This is the time where we all need to work together. I mean, they're saying Black Lives Matter. We need to make sure that we don't just let this happen and be just another bad news about the death of a black man in the USA, about the amount of BME that have died during the COVID pandemic. What we need to make sure is that now is the start of a new way of doing things. It's the start of having black, white, Asian, everyone working together and making sure like Martin said, making sure that we are recruiting and when we are interviewing, we are recruiting not just because of the color of the skin or because of people that look like us. We want to recruit the best people and remove all this type of bias. We need to start looking at, let's educate ourselves about race inequality. Let's educate ourselves about what does it mean to be white and what are those white privileges. Let's talk about it without us getting offended about it or getting irritated. Let's have that conversation and we will start feeling uncomfortable. But the more that we talk about it, the more comfortable that we are going to feel and the more the more easier that conversation is going to become. So I, I really think that this is the time we need things like the General Pharmaceutical Council, the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, the PDA, everyone to come together and start sending those messages out there. It's about everyone working together, everyone. Uh, they, we, we need allies. That is as simple as that because we are the minority within the minority. And it doesn't matter how much we talk, if we don't have the support from our white counterpart, from our Asian counterpart, the change is not going to happen. That was Martin Egaridu, Mufino Okadegbi and Elsie Gomez-Campos. If you'd like to share your experiences of racism in pharmacy, please respond to a C&D survey on the topic, which you can find on our website. To this week's podcast, I'd like to flag a bit of good news for the sector. On Tuesday, Matt Hancock visited a market chemist in Marylebone, London, to thank them for their work during the COVID-19 pandemic. He said, pharmacists have been at the forefront of supporting people during this pandemic, and I want to express my gratitude to each and every one of them for supporting this country and the local community. Traditional face-to-face services really matter, and combined with embracing technology and innovation, they have been central to how pharmacies have continued to serve their communities. In doing so, they have kept people safe and well. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe via iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thanks very much for listening.